Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, women's empowerment coach, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Jen. Jen Ruiz is a lawyer turned travel blogger and author. She is the number one Amazon bestselling author and her book, The Affordable Flight Guide, is a 2018 Reader's Favorite Award winner. And I will link that up in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com for anybody who wants to grab her book because I know I have... We've had somebody before who was on here talking about travel, but she travels on a, in a boat. Um, her name's Sheena, Sheena Jeffers, and she has like traveled to the Caribbean in her boat and has been out on her boat all like the past year. It's kind of amazing. And so I know when her episode aired, everybody was like, we need more of these tips about traveling. So I'm glad you're here. So Jen is also a TEDx speaker and has been featured as a budget and solo travel expert by the Washington Post, Huffington Post, Business Inside, and ABC News. She documents her adventures on her website, Jen on a Jet Plane, and helps young professionals travel for less and experience more. So I'm going to link Jen's website also up in the show notes so anybody can connect. Jen, tell us about one, what got you into being a lawyer? Like what made you decide that? And what was that like? And then transition to us? How did you make a decision to walk away? Because I know being a lawyer is, can be a very lucrative job and it's hard for people to walk away from that sort of thing. Absolutely. I think with anything that you really put a lot of time and effort into, it's hard to walk away from because you get so attached to a title or an office or a lifestyle, um, especially as you know, we reach this kind of looming milestone of adulthood and, and really figuring out what it is that you want to commit to. So for me, I just, I went from undergrad straight into law school. Um, it's seven years total. And I graduated with no debt from undergrad, but a ton of debt from law school, even <laughs> with a scholarship. Um, so they really make sure you're financially invested. Um, and I passed the bar in Maryland. I passed the bar again in Florida and I was practicing in Florida for about uh, four or five years. And then I, that's when I started to travel. Um, I liked what I was doing. I liked law. I liked my coworkers, particularly because I finally found a job in nonprofit law, so maybe not as lucrative, uh, but with a great work-life balance that really allowed me to help people in a meaningful way and enjoy my, my job in a way that I think other lawyers don't. Um, yeah. So that was really a great placement, but it just wasn't it. Like, it didn't feel like it was the one it's and not that any job really has to feel that way work is work but it didn't feel right. like it was you know what i wanted to really commit to i couldn't see myself being there for another you know however many decades and and just really doing that kind of work i didn't feel any kind of you know inner motivation to kind of push up and, and do more than what I was doing, you know, and I think that's where I, I personally started to notice that I needed a different challenge because I've always been that person who wants to do more and wants to be, you know, the captain of every team and, you know, the designated person for everything. Um, so that, that was my first big sign that maybe this was good and I, I did it well, but maybe it wasn't for me necessarily. So that's when I decided to 
travel. Um, it wasn't just that. It was also that I was still very much single at this time. So I devoted a lot of time into my career, um, but I didn't have a husband. I didn't have children. I didn't have pets. You know, I didn't really have anything personal other than just this career that I'd invested so much time into. So I wanted to do something for me before my 30th birthday. And that's when I decided to set out on my challenge to take 12 trips in 12 months before wow. 30. <laughs> that's a lot. It was. And I think I, I needed it to be that much, right? Like I needed it to be distracting enough that I wasn't going to sit there and dwell every passing day of, oh my God, I'm going to be 30. And oh my God, I'm still single. And oh my God, I'm going to be the last one ever. Um, and so just all of that kind of anxiety was pushed aside with, oh my God, I really have to make sure I, I book this hotel room and oh, I have to make sure I check these visa requirements. And all these other thoughts were able to occupy my head that weren't, you know, society deadline and mm -hmm. just any kind of things that made me feel inferior. Like this was actually stuff that I looked forward to and I got to put all of my energy into that for that year. And it really, I'm so glad that I had that crazy notion and I'm so glad that I stuck it through and I did it because I can't imagine having lived that year on the complete like opposite side, like having lived with negative thoughts versus kind of like positive, hopeful, really excited thoughts. And that year was very transformative for me. I ended up taking 20 trips. So I almost doubled my wow. goal. I, w I went a little insane. Um, <laughs> And it was, I kept finding really great deals. So that was my thing. I, I started, since I was working at a nonprofit, I had to learn how to do all of this for cheap. And I realized that most of the money is spent before you even get to the destination on, mm -hmm. you know, your flight to get there and, and things like that. So I started learning about cheap flights. I read every book I could. I listened to podcasts. You know, I read blog posts and I just kind of educated myself on how to find them. What were the best search engines? What were good ways to get alerted? for deals. So I, I, now I'm a subscriber to uh, Scott's cheap flights and they send me emails like two, three times a day where I get really great deals all over the world that I don't really have to hunt for. Like they kind of come to me and I know when there's a sale, like I'm just in the loop now. Um, and so that was really helpful for me. I learned travel hacking and I started, you know, I didn't really even have credit. I graduated law school without any credit cards. And so I started to dip my toes into the credit pool and figure out how to make these points work for me to get me free flights. Um, so I found like a $38 flight to New Zealand and a $16 flight to Ecuador and I, like just all these amazing flights on, on points and award travel. And I learned kind of that game and how that works. And so that's when I put all that together in a book. And then I transitioned after the book to actually traveling and writing full time. Um, because it feels more like it's what I'm supposed to be doing at this time. And I always have law. I think that's always the benefit of having a career that you've invested so much into. Like I'm always going to be an attorney. Um, even if I'm not practicing, I'm barred in two States. Nobody can take that away from me. You know, I had right. to suffer through two bar exams. So that's, that's my <laughs> life. Um, and I think that's, that's the good thing. I, I, I never regret my education. I would never suggest to anybody that they not pursue an education. If it's something that they want to do, even with all the student debt that I have, um, I like, like being a lawyer. I like having Esquire at the end of my name. Um, but I like traveling and writing right now instead. And I feel like part of being accomplished professionally is having kind of that freedom to really pursue what it is that you want to do. 
Absolutely. So. I'm actually um, going to school for full-time for psychology. I want to get my PhD. Uh, and the reason people are like, well, you know, you can get your master's and you could be a therapist that way. I'm like, yeah, but PhD allows me that freedom that if like five years into being a therapist, I'm like, you know what? I want to take a break, then I could go and be a clinical researcher. I could be a professor. Like the sky's the limit. The only psychology degree that might have a little more freedom would be a psychiatrist. I just don't want to deal with medication, honestly. So like I can understand where you're going with this is like right now traveling is your thing, but maybe, you know, like 10 years from now, you might be like, you know what? I want to go back to being an attorney and you have that option because you never like close that door. You're like you said, you're, you're in two states. You can practice law. Like, and I'm sure if you've passed two part bar exams, you could probably pass it in other places as well. And they have reciprocity after a set period of time too. So after five years, a lot of the states will honor existing bar exams. So you don't have to take the test again. That's awesome. Yes. Florida, so I'm glad I took that one because they don't have that rule. They don't want people to retire there. So they're like, no, you have to take the exam even if you've been practicing for 30 years. So. Yeah. Florida's a fun state. I lived there when I was a teenager for a couple of years and I'm like, oh my goodness. I just couldn't get over the humidity. Like yeah. it's just so humid there. But I know people who live there and absolutely love it. They don't want to move. Um, my husband's in the military and a lot of people we know in the military have lived there and like, Oh, we can't wait to go back and retire in Florida. And I'm like, I'm good. I'll be, I'll pass. But I mean, I know, <laughs> I know people like really enjoy that. So people might be listening and going, how the hell did you manage to get like $60 flights and $24 flights across the world. So we're not even talking about the United States. Heck for me, if I wanted, I live in Virginia. If I wanted to fly from Virginia to San Diego, it cost me like $500. <laughs> and now we're talking about a whole nother country you're flying to. Like, how did you get started in finding these amazing deals? So there's three main ways that people can find deals. Um, one of them would be mistake or error fares. So this just is attributed to human error. Let's say a flight is $1,400 and in inputting it, somebody leaves off the one and sells it for $400. If you can catch that fare while it's st still up, um, there's a chance it'll be honored. It's not always honored. Um, British Airways made the news a couple of weeks ago for having dishonored a flight from, I think, London to um, to. Jerusalem or somewhere in the Middle East and uh, somewhere in Israel. And so they had pretty much, they had infuriated like the 200 people that bought the ticket. But at that point, it was too much of a loss for them to honor it. So mm -hmm. if you're like one of the few, like first people to get it, if you book it through your account, there's things you can do to increase your chances of having it honored. Um, and airfares are a great way to find kind of just mistake pricing. Uh, I was able to fly round trip to Argentina for $300 that way. And Argentina is a really expensive destination to reach. It's like all the way at the end of the southern hemisphere so um, that was one way the second way is budget airlines so budget airlines are how I got to like Iceland for $99 you've all seen that special from Wow Air where they promote that um, mm -hmm. I was able to take advantage of one of those tickets and I flew to Iceland for $99 I've used Wow Air and, and Norwegian and these other you know JetBlue Allegiant Frontier if we're talking domestic airlines here and they actually have periodic sales where you get sent out emails they just had a, a Valentine's Day sale that passed not too long ago that promoted you know like $39 one within the US um, so maybe you can't necessarily get to San Diego for that price but you can get to LA for $39 and just I don't know find another connection drive down whatever the case mm -hmm. may be 
Um, and so that's kind of how you can be flexible and take advantage of budget airlines. And then the third one where you find like the really unbelievable unreal deals are travel hacking. So where you use points and miles that you've accrued through either frequent flying, through loyalty programs, through credit cards um, to redeem that for award travel where you get the flight or the hotel for free and you just pay the taxes and fees. And that's where you see the, like the $5, like I got a flight from Hawaii back to Miami and I just paid the taxes and fees and it was like $5 and 60 cents. What? Um, that's amazing. Yeah. Cause Hawaii is expensive to go to no matter where you're coming from. It's far. I mean, it's not close. It looks close on the maps that we have, just like Alaska looks super close. Um, but like, it's really out in the middle of the Pacific. Um, and so it's tough to reach and it takes a lot to get there. So, um, but it's still domestic. So you have those kind of domestic U.S. taxes and fees, whereas you might have higher taxes and fees on award flights for international travel. I got a free flight from Bangkok back to Miami when I was still living in Florida. And that I got for about $70. And that was with the, the taxes and fees that were higher for the international travel. So it really depends on where you're going, but those are my three main methods. And people who want to start out with travel hacking, um, just definitely have an account open because you can transfer, you know, points are valid from different airlines because they're all partners now and different alliances. Um, so make sure you have an account open with all of the airlines that you fly. Make sure that you're, um, that you're making as much like bang for your buck as possible. So a lot of people that really play the game, like they'll go and they'll do purchases through the online portal because it gives you like three times the points if you purchase through their portal. So now previously JetBlue had a partnership with Amazon. They don't anymore, but let's say you had bought something on Amazon after you click the link on JetBlue's portal, now you, you spent 50 bucks on Amazon, you got 150 points on JetBlue. Um, so those are the kind of things that you could be doing every day to just accrue points. And then anybody that opens up a travel credit card of any sort can really meet the minimum spending limit and reap those kind of bulk signup bonuses to get somewhere really expensive for really cheap. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I... It's just amazing to me because I'm like, I wouldn't think of any of this stuff and all of it's laid out in your book, right? If people pick up the book, it's all laid out in there. So I mean, we're getting some, a few tips here, but if somebody's listening and they're like, I really want to be able to travel and do all these things, which will be my goal when my kids are all grown and I only have like 11 more years before that happens. So, <laughs> you know, right now with the children, it's a little bit harder because I don't want to take them on vacation with me. It'd be too stressful. It would not be a good vacation. Yeah. I would just be like, I need a vacation from my vacation because I just took all these kids on vacation with me. So you've been, how long have you been traveling now? Um, so I've been traveling now for maybe about three years. So the first year before I did my 12 trips in 12 months, I took a half dozen trips the year before that. And that's kind of what helped me also decide that I could embark on that kind of challenge because I had already just that past year, I went to Machu Picchu and I climbed, you know, the adjacent mountain and I went to Barcelona and I went to Amsterdam and I did all these trips and I knocked them out. And that's when I kind of started to get my feet that's when I started my blog, Jen on a Jet Plane. I rebranded from a previous name. Um, and I really started to get serious about traveling in general and travel writing. And then um, my year where I took 12 trips in 12 months, right before my 30th birthday. And then this past year that just passed, because now I'm 31 and time is just a flying. I'm 32, um, I feel you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just moving right along. Um, and so now it's been about three years, a little bit over that. Yeah. So where has been your favorite 
place to go since you started traveling? I have a lot of favorite places, so it depends on where. Um, I usually say my standard answer is usually the south of France because that was such a big bucket list goal for me um, to go there in the middle of the summer to see the lavender in bloom, and it was really just everything you think it would be. Um, but I've also, I mean, I've, I've had some really great times in some other places. I surprisingly, I, I keep going back to Mexico. Um, yeah. It's actually a really affordable destination for people in the U.S. It's right there. Um, and it, there's so many things I keep discovering. Like I, I just recently went and I saw some pink lakes. Um, pink so, lakes? Mm -hmm. Why are they pink? Uh, it's part of a adjacent salt like uh, it's it's the the salt in the water and then the shrimp okay. that go in the water and then they they're not able to live because of the salinity and then when they die they give away this kind of color and it makes the whole lake pink. Oh, um, that is fun. <laughs> well, not for the shrimp. But. Not really. Yeah, you don't want to say that part. That sounds kind of morbid. But uh, but they have them anywhere where this kind of, there's kind of this high salt content, um, and it's also these same shrimp that some of the flamingos eat nearby and. Uh, uh, causes their coloration as well. There's there's a special name for the shrimp. I don't okay. know it offhand. I'm sorry. You're uh, fine. <laughs> and so, but it was beautiful. It's just like cotton candy water, and it looks really spectacular. And it's a place in Mexico, and so I really try to discover these other things to do besides just the standard. You know, go to a resort, sit on a beach. Um, I was able to dive an underwater museum there, so you get to see what? these statues. Yeah, that are submerged underwater with like reefs that have grown on them, and it's really cool and you don't need to be prior you don't need to have a prior um patty certification for diving okay. you can get certified on the spot with just like a training video that you do um because it's pretty shallow um but it's beautiful and it's one of the few places where they have these kind of underwater museums so it's really cool to be able to see that i just saw something else the other day where i was um perusing i saw that mexico has these kind of like pools on mountain sides that are just like natural pools that form that I have to go check out now too and add to my list. So I really think it's an underrated destination and it's so easy to access from the US that it's cheap to get there. Like I'm talking $200 round trip tickets to Mexico mm -hmm. City or Cancun. And from there you can really find a lot of, of really interesting things. So as a solo female traveler, I do speak Spanish, so I have an ease of getting around there. I'm always very vigilant when I go, but I think it's a great place to go if you have, you know, family, if you're traveling with groups of friends, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty good destination all around. Always obviously be, vig be vigilant, but for yeah. the most part, if you know where you're going, if you have your plans beforehand, if you're, you know, doing the speed limit, if you're knowing all these things, like you're going to be okay. I drove all around the Yucatan and I was fine. I've had friends that have lived there for many uh, years, months, because it, I mean, it draws in a lot of digital nomads. It's so cheap to live in. Yeah. Um, so I really think it's worth exploring. I think that's amazing. Cause right now there's such a, like a negative stigma in the United States about Mexico. And I'm just like, you know, what? I've heard nothing but amazing things about those people who have gone and visited Mexico. Like they're like, it's just beautiful. I remember when I was younger, my dad had one time said like, you know, that was his life goal was to eventually like buy a plot of land in Mexico and go live there because the cost of living is so much lower than it is in the United States. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever, you know, get that goal to happen, but like he lives in Florida right now, ironically. <laughs> but I mean, he said that too, is that it's, you know, relatively inexpensive to live there. And I think that especially if we go and we're not maybe so much like, like you said, being invested in the resort, like, cause that's expensive. But if you're like, you know, still staying in the like safety limits, but like, 
you know, going and seeing these other things, it could be really nice. But you, it's funny you said France because my husband, that was his least favorite place to visit. Oh, no. <laughs> he's in the Navy, so he's been, you know, all over the place. His favorite place, I don't know if you've been to Norway, but his favorite place was Norway to visit. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've flown through it, but I haven't had the chance to really explore it yet. I've wanted to go and see the fjords there for the longest time. Everybody says it's so stunning. Um, so I'm, I would love to make my way up more to those kind of countries. It's just the higher north you get, the more expensive it gets. I saw that really quick in Iceland. Got to be like $300 a night for a room, just a basic room somewhere, you know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, his, he fortunately, he's in the Navy, so he got, just pulled into port and he slept on a boat. So he didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> that know. works. I shouldn't say about, he slept on a submarine. Um, and so that's how he got to go, but that was his favorite place. He did mention that it is expensive to go, but he said that's his favorite. He didn't like France because he found that sometimes the people could be really rude. The people um, could be rude. Yeah. But he said one, if, if he attempted to try to speak the language and wasn't being obnoxious about like, you know, I know you can speak English because some of the guys he was with was like, I know you guys can speak English. Um, when he actually like made an attempt, he said people were a little more welcoming, like, Oh, it's not just this. Cause you know, they have a stigma against Americans that were just uh, obnoxious, you know, self-involved. So it's kind of understandable, but he said that's why it wasn't his favorite, but he said it's gorgeous and like the like seeing all of it he was like it's just amazing and some of these buildings have been standing forever um for like a really long time you get you get to go look at them so um but norway was definitely his favorite so you have to go check it out and when you find a good deal to check it out so how does it work making a living because people might be listening and like how the hell are you traveling and making a living traveling i mean that's expensive. You're spending money to travel, but obviously you're making, making it happen. So how do you do it? (laughs) A couple of different things. So first my blog has been a big investment of time, money, effort, energy, as I learn more about SEO, bringing traffic to my site, really being a go-to source for answers for people. So with my blog, I've been able to monetize off of ads on my, on my blog space. I've been able to get sponsored travel content. So I'll get hotel stays at certain places. I'll get tours, things like that, that are comped or discounted. Um, And that's been able to help me travel a lot. So once I have my flight that I get for cheap, I try to reach out and get some of these other activities sponsored uh, in exchange for coverage on my blog and social media channels. It's taken me years to grow my blog and social media channels to the point where people would be interested in working with me. I've attended conferences. I've worked a lot into making PR contact with the different tourism boards into, you know, doing good work for existing campaigns. So it's been a lot of work that I put into monetizing the blog in that sense, but it's been worth it for me. And it's really brought a lot of opportunities my way that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, In addition to that, I also have my books that I sell on Amazon. So that's another revenue stream. Um, I'm actually working on my third book currently on solo female travel. Um, Yes, I'm really excited. It was going to be, it's it's a series. So the first one was on uh, finding cheap flights. The second one was on, you know, finding the time to travel even when you have a full-time job. And now this third one is going to be on going alone because I think that those are the three main excuses that people make to stop them from traveling. I don't have the money. I don't have anybody to go with me. I don't have the time. And so I wanted to just tackle those in these kind of first series of books that I self-published on my own. Um, So that's one of the things that I've been working on and have been doing. Um, 
and my next book's expected to launch in March of 2019. So that'll be the end Yay. of the series. Yes, I'm that very- actually will probably be launched by the time this airs. So that's good. Uh, hopefully, I can um, link it up in the show notes so everybody can grab it and check it out because. I do think that sometimes we just don't want to go by ourselves. And, you know, that's been part of what's held me back because my husband's in the military and we don't, I mean, we can, he can, they can say he'll get the time off, but something could change. And we always have to have like the, you know, the insurance in case it changes. But like, if it, if it could just be like, okay, if it changes, you can't go, but I'm going to go anyways, that would probably work out a lot better because then I could actually find the deals and do the deals for me because with him, it's harder because he gets like, it's such a set amount of time, you know, so you really don't have a lot of flexibility when it comes to that. But I, I, I have places I want to go. I have a passport now. Like I like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go check things out. And you know, budget friendly is definitely speaking my language because with four children the budget for travel <laughs> isn't really really big uh, but it's definitely something that I want to do personally so I I definitely want to check out your books and see how I could do that on a budget and actually go see the world because the most I've ever seen is Canada which is great I mean I have family that lives in Canada like my grandfather's Canadian but that's not exactly the only place in the world I want to go. There's lots of other places I would love to go as well. So have you ever been to like a place like Australia that has like super expensive flights that are like two grand? Like how do you manage to do that? Yes. So actually I have been to Australia, but I went there during law school when I realized that I had, you know, gone with almost seven years of schooling and I hadn't taken advantage of any study abroad program, like right. how dumb can you be? So, uh, <laughs> so I was like, I got to do something before I'm out of here, you know, and take advantage. And, and actually it was with a law reform commission where I went to Australia and I lived in Sydney for six weeks. Um, so that my flight was sponsored as part of a grant, but um, New Zealand that's right next to Australia and very expensive to reach as well. And the $2,000 kind of range that was, I used my points to get there. Um, so I had points that I had accrued with a credit card that I had opened with American Airlines and I knew that it was enough points to get me anywhere pretty much um and I didn't want to spend it on somewhere like Europe that I could access through budget airlines or somewhere that I could fly myself. So I really wanted it to be an exotic destination that I couldn't reach otherwise on my own. I had thought about, you know, Kenya. I had thought about Japan. I had thought about a bunch of other places. Um, and ultimately, I settled on New Zealand um, because it's what I found, I think, the best redemption value for when I actually mm-hmm. went and looked at and saw. And actually, I only had enough points to get me there and not fully back. So I used the points to get me back, to get me back from uh, uh, Hawaii. That's when I paid for the $5 flight from Hawaii. Okay. And then I paid out of pocket to get from New Zealand to Hawaii, which was like $200. So altogether it came out to like $300 round trip for a New Zealand trip. That's usually about $2,000. And so it was a mix of that kind of knowing how I could, how I could play around with my points, um, being flexible on my destination and departure airports. Um, and not being afraid to add that connecting, you know, like what's the worst thing having three days that I have to stop over in Hawaii for like, Oh, oh no. darn. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> exactly. So it actually, it worked out pretty well. Um, and New Zealand was amazing. I only had enough time to visit for, one of them I could only do the North Island or the South Island um, and the South Island is where people say it's really stunning they have fjords there like in Norway and, and things like that it's supposed to be really naturally beautiful um, but I really only had time to do the North Island so I did a week on the North Island uh, I did the Hobbit houses from Lord of the Rings 
They were so fun. Um, I did the glowworm caves, which is one of the few places where you can see kind of like bioluminescence. Yeah. Um, so that was really wonderful. I was able to do black sand beaches, hot water beaches, where you kind of dig your own hot tub in the sand and the water that comes in is warm because of the volcanic activity. Um, so a bunch of really unique things that I did in New Zealand. And I'm really glad that I went and it was affordable. Like even if I didn't have the points outright, even if right away the answer didn't come up when I was looking like, okay, here's this round trip flight for the points that I'm, I need. I think you can always find a workaround, find a solution. And if you just can, get creative with it and not be immediately disheartened. I'm glad you mentioned uh, being flexible about where you fly out of. So where I live in Norfolk, Virginia, it's expensive to fly out of here because it's not a hub. So like you always have a layover. It doesn't matter where you go. Like you would think flying from where I live to, to New York, because like literally they're not that far. It's not, you have like a layover way in the like the midwest and you're like why am i going there to fly to new york and not straight because it's not a hub um so it's important when we're looking for flights to take that into account because it's very rare i'm going to find a really like cheap flight coming out of norfolk because it is not and in its end it's kind of inconvenient <laughs> for for airlines, right? There's <laughs> to to come here where I'm only about an hour and a half from Richmond, Virginia, which it would be it's way cheaper to fly out of there, like than it is to fly out of where I live. Just the convenience factor a lot of times is why people will fly out of Norfolk instead of Richmond, because then you had to drive up there, possibly leave your car, do all that stuff. But it is, I've seen like looking for different flights and also not overlooking like the podunk like airboards that are like out in the middle of nowhere and you're like, there's no way they have extra flights. Sometimes those are the cheapest flights because they make like deals with airlines that they have straight so like from um um, there's one up in like new, like up above me between Richmond and here. And they have like straight flights to Florida for like 50 bucks. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it is relatively inexpensive, but they're overlooked because they're really tiny airports. And so I think it's important to kind of be aware of like all the different airports that are within driving distance and check them out because there's, there could be possibly different deals that you don't see. And definitely knowing that you probably are going to have a layover and the longer your layover is probably the cheaper the tickets are. Like one, when my daughter was going to fly down here from New York, when she was living with her dad, the cheapest ticket I found, she had a 10 hour layover, which I didn't feel comfortable with for the teenager. But if I had gotten that, I would, I could have saved myself potentially like $150. Yeah. And sometimes they'll even move you up to another flight if you get there and talk to the attendant and say, you know, is there any earlier flight you can put me on? If they have room, they might bump you up. So you don't need to be stuck with it. But if you've checked luggage, if you're by yourself, yeah, definitely it's a consideration. Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad you mentioned that there's, you know, if you're flexible about where you're flying in and out of, you could possibly find cheaper flights that way as well, because that's what I've, I've found too. And, you know, sometimes even going to the airport when they, when just say you had extra time and you just wanted to go to the airport and fly somewhere, you could go. And if they have last minute seats that they need to fill, they might possibly do it for a cheaper price because now they're like, we want to fill up this airplane. You know, um, I know I've, I've heard a few people have done that before. Uh, but there's, there's definitely 
a lot of different ways to do this and go about it. And you obviously have it pretty well laid out for you as well. So people might be thinking like how back to the blog and you being able to increase your, you know, audience that's coming to it. And I say this about podcasts, like people are like, how do you monetize a podcast? I'm like, you have to build an audience before you can even think about that. And the same for your blog is you had to build that audience before you could think about like really living, you know, and doing this with your blog. So how were you able to build up that audience in the beginning? Well, um, it's been a work in progress, definitely. I started really focusing on my SEO. So I realized I did everything before that most people do. You know, I did a lot of promotion on social media. I begged my friends and family to follow me, you know, all the kind of rookie mistakes. Um, and then I realized that I was investing time into something that was only going to keep going so long as I constantly kept investing more and more time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Facebook's only going to give me traffic so long as I keep posting on Facebook every day. You know, I, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted something different that didn't require, because that was part of the reason why I was working to make, you know, passive income. I didn't want to keep trading my hours for money. I just didn't have, I wanted to be smarter about it and, and generate something else that could keep going long-term for me. And that was part of the reason behind starting the blog and really focusing on it this way. So um, I realized that SEO had that answer. So SEO is the one thing where you put in the work, you do, you know what it takes. It's not immediate. It takes a couple of months to actually see the results. But once you get it down packed, once you learn what you're doing, it brings you more and more views, regardless of you doing anything. You completely log off. You could turn your computer off and not sign on for a week. And you would actually probably get an increase in traffic, you know, like it's crazy. So it's the one thing that really brings you so much more payback after you've already invested that initial energy into it and doesn't keep draining you constantly. Um, I started really taking it seriously when I attended a travel blogger conference and I took a full day SEO workshop. Uh, I have friends, Gemma and Laura, that run a group called Make Traffic Happen on Facebook. It's an excellent group. Um, they do have a lot of travel bloggers, but it's, it's tips that can be applied to anybody in general. Um, how to optimize your website, how to make sure that you have, you know, the right site speed, how to make sure you're using the right keywords, how to research keywords to begin with. Um, a lot of people, when I first started, you know, I had an article that I would write and I would put Athens as the keyword. Like that's never going to rank. Google's never going to, you know, essentially a keyword means somebody types in Athens and is your post going to come up? Like, no, I need a better keyword than that. I need something more specific, more targeted. Um, so like one of the first posts that I really got to rank with um, was how to get to Anafiotika in Athens, which is like a small neighborhood in Athens. Very specific quote, not that many searches a month, maybe 100 people search for that. But now when those 100 people search for that, I'm at the number one spot. And then the better that that specific question started doing, the more I started to rank for the broader term of Anafiotika in general, as opposed to like the question of how to get there. So it's kind of like working its way up baby steps, you know? Um, so that Google starts to recognize you, starts to put you at the forefront of search results that people are looking for, maybe not 15,000 people, but maybe, you know, 400 people a month are looking for this. And then if you can answer their question well, and then Google will start to take into account how long they stay on your website, 
whether they click on different things, whether they go to a different part of your website, whether they go back to Google and look for a different answer when they're done with you. And once Google collects all this information, it'll start to rank you accordingly and it'll start to boost you up in search results. Um, so I think really having strategic keywords, knowing where I could realistically rank and then reworking old content and rewriting new content um, that's all been part of what helped me really increase my, my views. So I think I'm up now. I was, before I even started, I did a 30 blog post and 30 days challenge in January just to kind of push me over the edge and really help me qualify for ads. Um, on, and like the quality ads on my site because you can get ads right. at any point in time, but I didn't want like something that's making me like a dollar. I wanted something that makes me meaningful money. Yeah. Um, and there's a program called media vine. Um, but you need at least 25,000 sessions a month to qualify for that. And so I wanted to make a push to qualify for Mediavine and, and make that session. So um, I did a 30 blog post and 30 days challenge. And so my, po my, my audience was at maybe less than 10,000 views a month, you know, a couple months ago. And now I'm at about 40,000 views a month. Wow. So. Yeah. And, and so I want, I want people to really see that you had to be consistent with what you were doing. Uh, you also had to put in some work to see the results because I think a lot of times, and I see this in podcasting where people will come to me and be like, how do you do a podcast? I'm like, my number one tip is consistency because if I didn't put out my episodes every Monday and every Friday and I only did it like once a month or maybe twice a month or whenever I felt froggy, people would not tune in. Because they kind of forget about you, right? If you don't have any new like blog posts going up, they'll forget about you after a little while. But if you always have like new and exciting content coming online, at least, you know, at a consistent rate, then they're like, oh, this, this new blog post general, I want to check it out. However, if they go and you haven't posted in like three months, then they'll slowly start to forget about you. And so it's really important that you be consistent, but also that you put in the hard work because you can't expect that suddenly you're just going to post a blog post and then you're going to have 40,000 people looking at it. That's not how it's going to work. <laughs> so as we, as we wrap up the podcast today, Jen, um, what would you like to leave the audience with? Maybe some tips or some more information that maybe we didn't mention in the podcast so far. Uh, I would just encourage people to not be afraid to try something different. Uh, I think when I set out to take this challenge, I didn't know where it would lead me. I didn't foresee it leading me into a life of travel. You know, I just, it wasn't right. in the cards. Um, but you never know where something could go. And I think you have the power to kind of challenge yourself and, and put yourself in these settings where you could potentially thrive. And I, I really would encourage people to do that instead of just accepting things, you know, because they are what they are. You know, a lot of people thought, why would I leave a law job? You know, I already have everything you could possibly need, but it's okay. You know, you only get one run at things. So you may as well try something different, do something new, like really pursue your passion because you want to be there, not because somebody else told you that you'd be good at it. Um, and I think you'd be surprised that where that could take you. So I definitely encourage people to do that. And that could be through travel. It could be through trying a new career path. It could be through, you know, finding the strength to really find the pros of life when you're single, um, which is tough for people that are really deep in it. You know, the people who right. get married, they forget how hard it is. <laughs> oh, I haven't forgotten. I've told my husband, can you just live forever? <laughs> I don't think I have it in me to go through that again. Like, who am I going to find that's going to accept all of the 
chaos that I am the way he has. I'm like, no, so I definitely have not forgotten. I do think some people forget though. Yeah, absolutely. People are just like, oh, don't worry. You'll find somebody like people. It's the most infuriating response ever because you're like, you don't understand. I have to work to find someone and, then, and, I'm, and I'm failing at it. Um, and so it can be, it can be really intimidating for people. So just whatever it is that's going to make you realize that, you know, this is what you're meant to be doing, that there's something else, that there's a positive to life. I, I really recommend that you pursue that. And if it is for any reason, travel. Um, I just, I recommend that you start small if you're traveling for the first time. If you're somebody that's just, if you're a first time solo traveler, um, I, it, it always makes it easier when you're somewhere local that accepts your money that, you know, takes, you know, understands English that has, you know, Uber available, just all the comforts of home. Um, and that's a good way to start before you really go and drop yourself somewhere completely foreign. Um, just get your own bearings, build your own confidence before you take that giant leap because of somebody that's been, you know, completely foreign somewhere else and just been like, oh my God, what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> It really helps to get your sea legs and to really give it a shot. You can start with just kind of local travel. You can go to some easier places like London or like, you know, even Mexico or Belize. Belize speaks, everybody speaks English. Belize is like a, everybody there is half retired people from America anyway. Um, <laughs> so like there's really a lot of places that you can go to where it's really easy. And I recommend that you do that before you go somewhere else. Because once you start small and you'll start to build confidence, you'll realize that you really are capable of figuring things out anywhere that you are. Um, and that there's a wonderful kind of renewal and kind of self-discovery that comes with travel. So, And what I love most about your story is I think what people may overlook is we try to live up to society's expectations of us, right? That we're supposed to get married and we're supposed to have children and we're supposed to buy a house and we're supposed to have this career, but that's stressful. And it's stressful to live up to those expectations and we don't have to. And it's something that I wish I had realized earlier on in my life. I mean, not saying I regret being married or having children or any of that stuff, but I wish I had realized that earlier on in my life that I could do what I wanted to do and not have to do these things just because it was expected of me. Uh, because now I'm like, I'm 32 and I have all these children <laughs> and there's not a lot of freedom with that. And, and I'm not bashing on people who are maybe looking to have kids right now. I'm just saying like, for me, I had them so young that there was a lot of opportunities that I've missed because of that. And, and don't diminish the fact that I love them, but it's just a lot of times we expect that we have to do these things because the society expects us to do them by a certain time, but we really have a lot more freedom than we give ourselves credit for. And a lot more time. I think, yeah. you know, we're still operating on old timelines when people live to be 50. Like, you know, people right. are to be like 80, 90 now. Um, I think as a woman, you have the pressure of fertility. Like, I wish I would be, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. I would love to have children and be guaranteed yeah. to have, you know, my craziness pass on in little mini-me's. Um, so, but I think that that's the biggest pressure that we feel, kind of that mm -hmm. internal ticking clock. Like, are we really going to have that as, as women particularly? Um, and I think that that's really a shame because it is there it's not something that's common in other places of the other world people really all over the, as I've traveled I've realized people have babies later into life you know they don't worry so much about it they don't stress it so much they live a much you know just more relaxed if it happens it happens kind of thing whereas here right. like 
people are shooting themselves up with pregnancy hormones and are really just trying so hard to make something happen. You know, I myself have considered, should I be harvesting my eggs now, you know, in case mm -hmm. I need them at some point, you know, like it's so much pressure. And I think maybe that in and of itself is what, you know, can block us just having that constant stress and that fear and that anxiety. It's definitely not good for you. No. Um, so it's definitely not helpful. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think as women, if we learn to kind of just let that go and realize that maybe we have more time than we think, like maybe I haven't reached my age of expiration just yet, then there's more that we could discover along the way and really make the best of our current circumstances. Absolutely. And I love that you said that. And, and when I, in the very beginning you were talking and all I could think was alignment, like you need to find what you feel in most alignment with. Does this feel good to you? Does this feel right? Uh, so Jen, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This has been an absolutely amazing interview and thank you for just being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.